Do you know if you go to a Hindu temple, they won't sing? Do you know when you go to a Muslim mosque, they don't sing? No. They recite stuff, but they don't sing. Why is that? Let me tell you why it is. Jesus is the only one got up from the dead. He put a song in your heart and joy in your soul. Amen. And he sets us free with joy, joy, joy. Amen. I just thought you'd want that nugget this morning. Hallelujah. Acts 13, making our way through the book of Acts, and we come to chapter 13, verse 13. We're going to begin right there. And you remember last Sunday, uh, Paul left Antioch down to the seashore, out to Cyprus, and there they preached, and we met those people on that mission trip. Now they're leaving Cyprus and headed northwest. And as they go to northwest, they're going to Pisidian Antioch. It's a second Antioch, not the Antioch of Turkey or Syria or northern Israel, but now they're going to another, and it's called Pisidian Antioch because it's in Pisidia, and it's another city, and they're headed there on this mission trip, and they make their way to this place for the second stop on this great missionary journey. And we're in Acts 13, and it all begins in verse 13, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But I want you to turn over, just read two verses, because we'll end at the, these verses. Verse 38 and 39, this is the conclusion of Paul's long sermon that we're going to look at uh, here this morning. In verses 37, uh, or in verse 38, uh, you find in verse 39, where it says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. This is the conclusion of that long exhortation that Paul is going to give. Now go back with me, beginning in verse 13. And you find that uh, as they left, and John left, we talked about that. We come to verse 14, and going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch in verse 14. And on the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath, the Jewish worship, they went down to the synagogue, and they sat down. That's what you did, and you came in church this morning. You came in, sat down. Well, Paul and Barnabas, they, they went into the Jewish synagogue and they sat down. Now, if you go to Jewish synagogue, there'll be three things that happen. They will always read from the Old Testament law. Then they will read from the prophets. And then someone will stand up and give the Mishnah. The Mishnah. That is the exhortation. We'd call it the sermon, but they call it the Mishnah. Now, now notice what happened. Verse 15, after the reading of the law, amen, and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent out to them, sent to Paul and Barnabas, saying, brethren, if you have any word, if you have a Mishnah 
If you have any word of exhortation for the people, what's those two words? If you have any word of exhortation, what? Say it. Say it. Say it. And Paul got out of his chair. Look out. And he stood up. And he motioned with his hand. And he said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. So they gave him the floor. And he did not disappoint. This is the first recorded sermon of Paul. It's not the first sermon he ever preached. But it's the first recorded sermon of Paul. I'm so glad there's not a recording of the first sermon I preached. Oh, hallelujah. There there are some notes in an envelope in the bottom drawer of a cabinet that's not labeled, but I know where they are. Oh, Lord. But Paul stood up and said, Beloved, if you fear God, listen. Those of you that are on the Warrington campus this morning, if you fear God, listen. I'm looking forward to being with you on our fifth anniversary on the 30th of this month. Beloved, those of you in here, if you fear God, listen. If you watch today online, Stacy, you're watching online today, fear God, listen. Robert, you're watching today, fear God, listen. Larley, you're watching today, fear God, listen. Mother, dear mother, if you're watching today, Fear God and listen. So Paul stands and he gives a three-point sermon. I don't have time to unpack all of this today, but I want to get to the real bottom line of what he said. So get the picture. Paul's in a Jewish synagogue. They've heard the law. They've heard the prophets. And then they invited the guest preacher. You got anything to say? He said, "I, I, I got it. And he stood up. You fear God, listen. And we find that Paul gives three things. First of all, I want you to see in verses 17 through 25, and I'm just going to read these verses. I want you to follow along and just kind of give a, a, a brief explanation until we can get down to the heart. First of all, he gives what I call the history, the history of Israel. Now get it. Paul, he, he's a trained Pharisee. He stands up and, and he says to them in this meeting in the synagogue beginning in verse 17 down through verse 25 follow along here's what he said the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he led them out from it and for a period of about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan he distributed their land as an inheritance all of which took about 450 years After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And after he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he had also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Verse 23, from the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So Paul stands up, and all these Jews are gathered in this synagogue. And they said, do you have anything to say? He said, yes, I do. All of you who fear God, listen up. And he then begins to recount the history of the Jew. He begins in Egypt when they're there, and in Moses with them Exodus, and the wilderness wandering, and then after those 400 years, and the 40 years then in the wilderness. In the Canaan they go after God dispelled those seven nations, and then the judges come, and then he gives us kings. we got a whole book about the kings. And he gives them then Saul, and he gives them David. And we know that out of his lineage, came Solomon, and out of that lineage came the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world. I mean, you just see Paul. He said, all of you Jewish folks, you've been looking for the Messiah. I met him. He's already showed up. Stop looking and look up. He has come. Hallelujah. So he recounts this history. They missed it. They missed the fulfillment of Jesus. But Paul makes it plain when he gives the history of how God brought the Savior unto them. Then he moves to verses 26 through 37, and he talks not about the history of Israel, but secondly, he gives the victory of Jesus. Notice, beginning in verse 26, he continues to preach, and he says again, brethren, he started with this word, now this is point number two, brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, remember, that's where he started, brethren, you who fear God, listen up, to us the message of salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem, And their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead. Can I get a witness? Oh, can you imagine sitting in that synagogue that day and, and Paul stands up and says, listen, brothers and sisters, y'all, the guy you killed, God raised him from the dead. Now, some of these folks are going to get excited about this and others are going to try to kill him. But he says that God raised him from the dead, verse Verse 31, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we, that's us, Paul and Barnabas, we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, quoting from Isaiah 55. Therefore he also says in another psalm, Psalm 16, verse 10, he will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. And so he lays out this victory of Jesus. He speaks of his sinless life, being crucified, raised from the dead, quote Psalm 2, quote Psalm Isaiah 55, quote Psalm 16, and then he illustrates with decay. Now you've got to know Jewish history a little bit here to understand what this means. He says when David died, we buried him and he underwent decay. That means his body decomposed. They wrapped him in, and now here's what Jews did with the bodies. They, they had a service, seven days, and they wrapped the body like they wrapped the body of Jesus. You remember? Wrapped him in those grave clothes. Remember they wrapped Lazarus in those grave clothes. Jesus kind of messed up that funeral. And for seven days, then they would bury the body in a cave or the ground, wherever. And then one year later, the Jewish people would come back and they would exhume the body. Clean the bones and put the bones in a bone box, an ossuary. Remember what they did with Joseph? They brought him out of Egypt and they carried his bones. Well, at a year, that body decomposed. They'd take those bones and they'd put them in that ossuary, in that bone box, and then they would bury them. That would be the gravesite. And Paul stands and says, listen, David died, and we, we got his bones, we put them in a box. But this Jesus, uh-uh. They buried him, but God raised him from the dead. He, he was just saying, listen, listen, this is the Messiah. He is the victor. He is the one who has overcome death, hell, and the grave. He's the Messiah you've been looking for. And old Paul's just preaching it hot and heavy and saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And then he gives his third point, and this is where I want to sit down for just a moment. In verses 38 and 39 that we read, after he talked about David undergoing decay, but Jesus didn't. Then verse 38, therefore, because Jesus did not decay, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, there's our word again, brethren, that through him, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, everyone who believes is freed. If you're reading King James, it says justified, and that's a great translation. He is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. He's saying, listen, you read the law, you read the prophets, but what the law could not do, Jesus did. What the, the law can't do for you can't live up to this. The law can't do it for you, but Jesus did it for you. The law can't save you. You, you cannot live up to go into heaven. You just must trust Jesus to get you there. And he says, oh, in verse 38, this is it, that through him, that is Jesus, gives us forgiveness of sins. And then he says we are freed 
from all things. This is a legal declaration. We are declared righteous. Verse 39, everyone who believes is declared righteous. If you believe, you are declared righteous. And Paul then later will write to the Romans, and I want us to look at two or three of those verses this morning. And he takes so much of this justification. Uh, Martin Luther said this was the doctrine that brought the revolution and the reformation to the world is the doctrine of justification. As a Catholic, he had always worked himself. He said, you got to be baptized. you got to take the, the wafer and the cup, and you got to have the Lord's presence over and over and over and over. And Martin Luther said, when I saw that it was Jesus once and for all, the Reformation was on. Justification by faith. And Paul wrote about that in Romans 3, verse 26. Listen to it. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus, you'll be justified. Skip down to verse number 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's not what you do in keeping the law. It's what Jesus did on the cross. It's by faith. Why by faith? Why not by baptism? Why not by singing a song? Faith is the attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. Paul said it in Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, when you come to Jesus, you're justified. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. You, you read the Old Testament, it talks a lot about the forgiveness of sin and gives, it gives four great illustrations of what it means to have your sin forgiven. The psalmist said in Psalm 103 and verse 12, he cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Well, they never meet. He cast your sin as far as the east is. Isaiah said in Isaiah 38, 17, that when he forgave your sin, he put it behind his back. God doesn't see it. I was coming down the hall today, and, and one of our singers that was up here, if I called her name, who stands right here, you'd know. And, and she's always talking. She's always talking. She's always doing something. I mean, she's like an energy drink waiting to pop loose. And, and she was coming down the hall, and, and she was talking, and she was coming back, and she was walking, and I was walking right toward her, and I just waited, and I just got out of the way, and she went, I said, hey, and she liked to jump out of her shoe right there. She, she can't see behind her. God doesn't look back there. When he forgives your sin, it's like he puts it behind his back. He's not looking up. He said, you look it up, but God doesn't look it up. Why? Because you are justified. As far as the east is from the west, it's like putting it behind your back. Isaiah 44, verse 22, it says he blots it out. Blots it out. That's like a, a mist that comes that you can't see. He, he blinds himself to your He sees your sin no more. He sees his son. This is victory. Micah 7, verse 8 says, he buries our sin in the depth of the sea. 
As old Vance Havner used to say, he posts the sign that says, no fishing allowed. Amen. You don't go digging in there for that. God cast the east as far as the west, behind his back. He blots it out. He buries it in the depth of the sea. Friend, when you come to Jesus, you are forgiven now. You are forgiven today. You are forgiven forever. You are justified. Now, don't ever say this. Don't ever say this. It's a cute little phrase, but it's not right. People say justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Well, that's cute, but it's a lie. You're justified even though you did sin and you still sin. You are declared righteous. You're justified. The thief on the cross, justified. Paul on the Damascus Road, justified. If you believe, you are justified. You are pardoned. Your sin is put away. You are accepted by God. Romans 8, 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation. Can I get a witness? God's not going to condemn. He frees us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He forgives our sin. You, you see, this justification, the essence of justification is that God accepts you, He regards you, and He declares you as righteous. This is a legal declaration. So some of you have been to court. I have been to serve on a jury. I have been asked questions. Sometimes I was excused from serving on a jury. But one time, I was not on the jury. I was on trial. I've shared with you. I was running a whole bunch of miles an hour. I was going so fast that the state of Alabama made you come to see a judge. Couldn't just pay, you had to go see a judge. And I needed you. I told my daddy, I said, I got to go. Will you go with me? He said, no, I wasn't riding with you. I wasn't driving the car. You go by yourself. <laughs> I walked in that courtroom, and I sat down, and I waited, and I waited. And the minute they called my name, Ted Trailer versus the state of Alabama. That's bad odds. I walked up and the judge asked me, were you? I said, yes, sir, I was. I did it. I, I did it. Now, in Florida, I believe this is right. They, 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 the, the judge doesn't use a gavel in Florida. They, they don't do that. But in Alabama, they use a hammer. <laughs> You've seen that old on TV, the Alabama hammer? Well, that, he ain't it. The guy at the, up here is the guy that's got the hammer, all right? I'm standing there and he read out my full name. Guilty. Pay the clerk as you leave. They put that on my record, and I paid the clerk, and I left. I'm going to give you some good news and bad news. Here's the good news. I'm going to stand there again. Not in Alabama. 
I'm going to stand before the Almighty. The judge of the universe. And he's going to look at me. And he's not going to say not guilty. He said, I'm going to say justified. You are declared righteous because someone else has paid your ticket. You're not righteous. You're not good enough. You're a stinking sinner. And if the people on the roll knew everything you had done, they had moved to another section. And if you knew everything I'd done, you, you wouldn't even come in here. I, I met a police officer here a few days ago. I was riding with an old boy, and he was driving, and we was hopping down the road just a little hotter than we ought to have been going. Those lights came on. Let me tell you, deep at night, those lights are bright. He walked over. Took our license, registration. He asked his question. He said, y'all been drinking or using drugs? I said, no, sir. I'm just trying to get home to preach the gospel. I played the card. <laughs> now, I wasn't even driving. I just... He told me his name, who he worked for. He said, well, sir, I'm going to just go just slow her down a little bit. I said, are you okay? He said, just 10 minutes ago, I worked a suicide. It's been a hard night. I said, can I pray for you? He said, oh, it'd, it'd make my day. That officer reached out and got my hand. I took his. This old boy knew the Lord. He bowed his head. I prayed for the favor of God, protection of God on him, asking God to bless him and favor him. Got done. He, he thanked me profusely. I said, sir, you're, you're welcome. I said, just before you go, I just want to thank you again for going easy on them. He didn't say nothing. He just smiled. He, he, he just smiled at us. And he let us go. I got to thinking, you know, I, no illustration is 100%. None. But I'm going to stand before the great judge of the universe, guilty as sin, right with you. And you're either going to stand justified 
because your elder brother, the Lord Christ, took your place and died for you, and you have believed on him, or you're going to stand condemned and go to hell. And old Paul moved into the invitation. <laughs> he, he, he preached it to him. After verse 39, he said, Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Don't be a scuffer and marvel and perish and go to hell, for I am accompanying a work uh, accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, look at this, look at verse 42. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath day. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, the invitation was over and the benediction was spoken. Many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who speaking to them were urging them to continue on in the grace of God. You'll find that they're begging, more, 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 more. Please tell us more, tell us more. And some of us have become so inoculated with the gospel, we're numb. Friend, there's a world out there that needs Jesus. And you need him today. And he says, whoever will believe will be justified. On the Warrington campus, if you believe today, you can be justified. If you're at home today, you, you believe on Jesus, you'll be justified. Send me a text at 855-0 and tell me, tell me today. Just send me that. We'll reach back to you and help you to know the Lord. Just call on you. If you're in this room today around that balcony top, sitting up there and say, Preacher, I need him. I need him. Come to him today. My soul, he, he wants to make it right for you. He wants to make it right. It's called grace. It's called marvelous grace. And that grace will exceed all of your sin and all of your guilt. God will draw you, draw you. And he'll reach out and he'll save you. He'd do it. He'd do it. And we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to invite you to come right here. Amen. Mr. Birch, come stand right here with me. Come on. Dr. Jernigan. Come, come stand right here with the pastor. Come, come right here. Renee, would, would you come and, and stand right here with, with me? Amen. Brother Paul, come, come stand here with me. Amen. Stand right there. Amen. Renee, when did you trust Jesus as your Savior? It was um, 1987. I was pregnant with my first child in October. Amen. Yeah. Through, through Sunday school class and through... Uh, Don and Wanda Laird kept talking about the peace of God, which I knew about God, but I didn't have the peace. Yeah. Ever since that day, I have. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And Jesus saved your soul. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. Miss Birch, when did you trust the Lord? Well, my parents drugged me. They drugged me to church every Sunday. And I struggled with surrendering for years. And it, uh, 
I eventually had to surrender everything because I lost everything. And uh, sin will take you and make you pay more than you want to pay. Romans eight twenty eight. Yes, sir. All things work together. It was January sixth, twenty seventeen, when I finally surrendered. Amen. Amen. Dr. Jernigan, when did you trust Jesus, your Savior? November 7th, 1976, when a 16-year-old, 17-year-old man presented the gospel to me. Hmm. You know that man? You're married to him now, aren't you? Yeah. Amen. Preacher, when did you trust him, Brother Paul? When I was six years old. Six. And, uh, you know, it's a testimony to great Sunday school teachers because they explained the simple gospel to them. Amen. Yeah, and that's what it is. We're simple. It's a simple gospel that says, if you'll come, if you're pregnant, come. If you're in a foreign country, come. If you're a teenager, come. If you're a child, come. If you're lost, come. Come. I'm going to ask these four just to stand right here with me today. If it's your day to come, come. For by grace are you saved. Say, preacher, I ought to be a part of the church. Come. A couple. Want somebody you. Whole row, come. You're here and just need Jesus. Come. And I'm here to tell you one day you'll stand at the judgment bar, lost or saved. You can stand saved today. Come by faith. And knowing what he did for these four and did for this preacher, he'd do for you this day.